You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I had a, I, the Lord showed me something this morning, and I, I feel like it's already started to happen, actually. I, I was not really involved with the worship set. Um, and I felt like the Lord confirmed it through worship today, what God's going to do this morning. I felt like the Lord, I saw this picture when I woke up of like a building that had collapsed, like a, a large building. And, and I, you know, you've all seen these tragedies where they pull someone out of the rubble. And in the dream, it was like people were being pulled out of the rubble. But it was, at first it felt like this is really bad. But then you begin to realize like it, almost all of them were alive. And I saw people being, and I, and I saw in this picture, uh, I, I received a little bit more during worship. I saw uh, almost the rescue team that was coming was like singing songs of worship. And people in the rubble would sing a song of worship. And then the rescuers would sing worship, and they would listen, and they would hear worship, and they would pull somebody out. And I saw them shake them off, you know, like, like not in an in a aggressive way, but like shaking all that rubble and all that dust and all that stuff off of them. And I, I saw this picture of... And I know things that a lot of you don't know of just that people that are in the room this morning of situations that are going on, painful things that are happening, painful things people have been through, and I believe you're in the right spot this morning. I had someone not too long ago tell me something that made me, I thought was hilarious and amazing all at one time. I was asking this person, I said, how did you find the gate? He said, my therapist told me about you guys. <laughs> said, you need to go to the gate. It's like, now that's an amazing thing to have happen. It's better than people going to the therapist because of the gate. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I thought, what a beautiful story. I mean, how amazing would it be um, that, hey, you're going to the hospital, and hey, you know what? I, I think you could actually go to the gate. They could take care of this. <laughs> I mean, what a thought. I mean, it's not a, and so I, I believe that, when I heard that, it just firmed up this feeling in my spirit this morning that God is the best therapist there is. And he is so good at taking away pain and helping us deal with pain. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about something that if you've been here for a number of years, you've probably heard me talk about it more than once. And so just pretend it's new. Um, but I want you to grab your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever you're using this morning. And flip to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And while you're doing that, and then I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to grab a bottle of water. I believe that the Lord in the midst of this, this is a unique feeling. I, um, I believe that not only is he going to heal, I also felt like there was an invitation to really have... Um, our hearts just set on fire for the Lord. Um, I know that doesn't always seem to go hand in hand. Like, I feel like when I do like services that are really more about healing, it's much more of like a, a father's hug kind of thing, which can happen this morning too. But I felt like it was actually going to be a combination of healing and the Lord setting the altar of our heart on fire. How many know that if you're the temple, your heart is the altar? And I feel like he wants to restore some fire, restore some passion this morning. But uh, sometimes it takes 
recognizing certain things to get there. So I'm going to pray over you. Lord, in Jesus' name, Father, we ask that right now that you would come. You're already here, but I just want to give you another formal invitation into this moment that you are welcome here. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome in this moment. I ask that you would come. And Lord, I ask that you would do something right now for every person in this room. I ask that you would touch their mind. And for at least the next hour, would you stop all feelings and thoughts of anxiety, pain, the weight of the world? Would you touch offense, bitterness, whatever it might be? Would you touch our minds and our hearts and for at least the next hour show us how we could live the rest of our lives? Even if it's a token, I've seen this happen before. I've called this out and, I, and someone responded and God let them feel in a moment what they could feel like the rest of their life and it was an invitation to freedom. It was complete clarity. Would you do that right now? I'm gonna wait just a second. I ask that just people could just take a big breath. Some of you might even just feel like it's a need to just take a big breath. Sometimes it's just like a response to the spirit. And we just release everything. God, I pray that you would create such an atmosphere of safety that people would feel the ability to just, uh, the fight or flight would come down. I don't have to fight. I don't have to run. I'm good in your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24, verse 13. Luke, did I say Luke 24? Luke 24, verse 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. Let's stop there. Um, they, were not, they were not having a testimony service. Um, this, was a, this was a complaining service. They were like venting. They were hurting. This was after Jesus had been crucified. The disciples were like, wait, we gave everything for this guy. We thought he was the one. And they were just walking and complaining. Aren't you thankful that we never do that? <laughs> and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking... And discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. This is when you know Jesus has a sense of humor. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other? How many of you, how many of you know when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know something, it's because you don't know something? He, he was very aware of the conversation they were having. He was trying to bring their mind and their spirits into an awareness of the conversation they were having because there was an invitation into freedom. And so he said, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looked and said, um, looking sad, excuse me, so kitty cat eyes. <laughs> then one of them named Cleopas answered, Sorry, I don't know why. I said kitty cat eyes, and then I heard the name Cleopas, and I thought, that's a cat name, too. I don't know. <laughs> just, just really, I make myself laugh sometimes. You don't have to. But then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? This dude's get, this getting sassy with Jesus. And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people. Just hold on there one second. There's something really interesting. If, I'm going to kind of give you the main point at the very beginning this morning. I, I really find it interesting that they refer to him when many, 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 many times they refer to him the Son of God, the Messiah. In the wake of his death and in the presence of their pain, their revelation of him has been downgraded to he was a prophet. I, I find that so intriguing because I think that pain is the greatest, uh, the greatest thief of revelation. Pain robs us from things that God has shown us. It says that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He was stealing from them through their pain, their understanding of who God was. That's a pretty major moment because you have to understand that um, this also reminds me, and I, I won't preach on it, but if you remember when John the Baptist was in prison, now, now, just quick context, John the Baptist was the one that baptized Jesus. He was the one that when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, his spirit, he knew who was coming his way. He was told to go into the desert and to baptize people until he would find the Messiah. Jesus is coming. He recognizes him. He comes. He said, I'm not worthy to baptize you, Jesus. I'm not even worthy to take off your sandals. And Jesus says, just permit it to be so. I need you to do this. So you know the story. He baptizes him. The heavens rip open. It's a pretty big moment. It's a really, really big moment. If there is anyone throughout this word that I would say there's a few people that we know that they should know he was God, John the Baptist is one. I mean, I mean, he was the one that leapt in the womb before, like there was something about John the Baptist, the forerunner, the prophetic prototype of Jesus that even when Mary came in contact with Elizabeth and Jesus came in contact from the womb with John the Baptist... John the Baptist leapt. And so he knows who the Messiah is before he even was born. And then he baptizes him. He sees this big moment. You fast forward to the end of John's story. And at, near the end, we see this picture where he's sitting in prison. And he says this. He calls his disciples to himself he sends them to find Jesus and says, do me a favor, ask if, he is still the, ask if he is actually the Messiah. You want to talk about pain being able to rob you of what God has shown you. Here he is sitting in prison, and he, he's all of a sudden like, ask if he's even the one. I want you to pay attention. You know the answer of what Jesus said to him. Jesus didn't answer that I am the one. Jesus pointed out the bigger problem was offense. Remember, he said, John, blessed are those who are not offended. Why? Because Jesus was more interested in John ending well than answering John's question. And if John didn't deal with the offense in his heart, it wouldn't matter if he went to the grave knowing it was him. He still would not have ended well because he went to the grave with offense. And Jesus said, John, blessed are those who are not offended. 
This is such a powerful picture of Jesus saying, I could, I could answer your question about who I am, but the bigger problem is, is the, 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 the pain and the offense and the bitterness that is actually blinding you from who I am. And so often I feel like that we in a prophetic community, we in a church body are always wanting like another word from the Lord. God, just show me who you are. Could it be that at times he's saying, I can't wait to show you more of who I am once you deal with that pain? Once you deal with that offense, you're really going to catch it. Got quiet. We all know how this works. We've all, if you've been around church, we've all experienced pain. If you've been around people, you've experienced pain. And Jesus is so, so concerned about your heart that he would rather focus on that than just showing you another prophetic word, giving you another word about him. Let's read on. Luke 24, verse 20 says... Um, actually, let's just go back to 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and people. Verse 20. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped <laughs> that he was the one to redeem Israel. Can you hear their great faith? <laughs> they're, they're grieving. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. I find this, um, I, just, just again, making the point, there's been some pretty amazing things happening here to keep saying he's alive. Like his body's not there and angels were there. And they still, through their pain, we heard this. Talk about doubting. Verse 24, and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found out it just as the woman had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? In the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is when, when, you get, when I get to heaven, I want to watch the replay. Like, I mean, I know I'm going to be with Jesus, and, but what a moment to hear Jesus walk this path and just downloading all these things, like he puts his teacher hat on. And he just teaches everything in the word that was about him. No one can teach about Jesus better than Jesus. And he's telling them all these things. And he begins to press into them a little bit. And let's, let's keep reading. It said in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, everybody say acted. This is funny. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. It is towards the evening and the day is now far spent. And 
Let's just stop there a second. They're walking. They're coming to this town. Jesus has been sharing with them. But there's this interesting thing that Jesus does, and I'm going to show you another passage, that it says he acted like he was going to the next town. Why did Jesus have to act like he was going to the next town? Jesus was getting their hearts in the right position. There is, let's, let's flip over real quick to now Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Let's go over there. And it says in Mark chapter 6, you still with me? Mark 6 verse 47. Actually, we'll do um, verse 45. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side And while he, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, <laughs> how many of that makes sense? Headway painfully. It could be, yeah. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by. Everybody said Jesus was acting again. <laughs> Let me say this. If Jesus can walk on the water, he doesn't get lost. It wasn't like he was walking and, oh, I lost him. I knew it. Jesus was walking on the water, and in the same way that he was heading to Emmaus, he started to walk past them. And what we see here is interesting. It says in uh, verse verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the water, they thought they saw a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him, and they were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Stop there. I believe that there's something so important about the position of our heart, to be able to see clearly and to receive what God has for us. There's a lot of really wonky, and I'm not going to get into it right now, but there's like a lot of wonky theology going around about um, that's really far off as far as like everybody's already Christians. You just have to become aware. It's all done and it's removing so much and, and it's very dangerous. I believe God is good. I believe he's great. I believe what he did on the cross was done and was done for all. I believe all that. But I think it's a dangerous belief and it creates a people and a bride of Christ without passion that believes that I can just Oh, that's, that's good. I'm saved. When Jesus was constantly pushing people a little bit, I get it that there's nothing that really has to do with what I do to get saved. There's, it's all about him. It's all about the cross. It's all about what he did. What I bring to the process of getting saved is really just coming to Jesus. So there's nothing that I bring to the process of getting saved, but there is a process of churning our affections to Jesus churning our hearts to Jesus. That is so important. And when we begin to remove this, we begin to create a body of Christ that is passionless, has no intimacy, and does not reproduce. What happens is, is we can begin to take wonderful truths like, 
I'm in Christ, he is in me. We are together. We are one. So true. My wife and I are also together, and we are one. And if I were to tell her, I'm just going to stop pursuing you, we're good. It's not going to go well. There is a process of pursuit that God has designed. It's not works. Works says that it happens because I did this. It's not works. It's something that he needs to get our hearts into a place of pursuit so that he can really reveal who he is. And this is important because I believe that actually the closer you are with somebody, the more intentional you have to be to pursue them. It's easy if you, I mean, it should be easy if you've been separated from your spouse for a week or two and they come home and pursuit is in your mind. It is in your heart. I love you. I have missed you. It's another thing when you're working together every day and you're doing life together every day and you're close, it's easy to not pursue. And there is this beautiful relationship with God where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not going to leave you out there. I am with you. It doesn't mean that we don't have to keep our hearts in a place of pursuit. You with me? When we begin to remove the pursuit from our theology and we just begin to swap it out with a simple awareness, I, I really believe it's dangerous. I, I, I just do. I don't think you can biblically back it up, not with a good argument. I talk a lot about striving, so I'm not going to get into that too much this morning, I, and I've already hit on it a little bit, but striving, the idea of striving is this feeling that it's not going to happen without me. This idea of striving is that, uh, and it is, it is equally as dangerous we, the, the church so often can be like a, it's just blowing so far from one side to the other. Whew. Never going to, I'm never going to, I'm good. And then we're like back to striving. And I watch people do this and they swing over to here. And God's like, okay, look at me. There's balance here. And it's equally as dangerous to swing. I don't want you to leave this and swing back over to here. Like, man, I, I've got to go home and just fast for 40 days after that sermon. Here's the reality about fasting and all of that. Once again, it is actually all about you. Fasting does not move God's heart any more than not fasting. It just gets you to focus on his heart. When you, when you fast, God, you know, and, and yet you, you're hearing scriptures like, well, some things only come out by prayer and fasting. Absolutely. Because some people, the only thing that's going to work is to get you to pray and fast. But there's a process where sometimes when I, when I fast, and, and, you know, I love fasting as much as you do. <laughs> Your laugh is prove it. I've done so many Daniel fasts. I can no longer eat. What's that one thing, Tiffany? Um, oh, if it's curry, I'm out. I'm out. Y'all, it's ruined curry for life. There's certain things that I smell it. And I'm like, like, nope, can't do that anymore. 
because I, I lived on it for 21 days. But, but there, there is a process that, how many of you know that like you can, you feel like just everything in you that has a fight just starts to shrivel away sometimes. When you're fasting, it's like, Lord, I really do love you. If you're going to complain about the whole time, just quit fasting because it's not going to work. It's not. God's not up there like, man, they're, they're miserable. I'm going to extra bless them. God's up there saying, I've already done what I'm going to do about this situation, but I'm so blessed that you're going to get it. You're coming into an awareness of what I've already done now. And so this, this process of, of, of focusing our hearts, the process that he says, some things take prayer, some things take fasting. That is, that is the spiritual answers to pursuit. Some things take... Sometimes, sometimes it takes giving just that sacrifice of praise when you don't feel like it. And I get he is good. There's moments you can come in and lay on the floor, and he'll just take care of you. That's, that's fine. But there's also things that can happen in a moment when you come in and say, Lord, I'm just going to, I feel the last thing I feel like doing is praising you. But you're still good. And because I don't feel good doesn't change what you're worthy to receive. And, and coming in in that sacrifice of praise to saying, Lord, I love you. It's so important. It's so important. It says as you read on, and, and I'm bouncing all over the place now. Let's see if I can find my way back home here. In Luke chapter 24, if you read on, it says that, and went um, in verse 29, so it was toward the evening, now the day is far spent, so he went to stay with them, and when the table, and uh, when he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. I believe that this is why we eat bread. Um, That's a joke. Um, There... It says that their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished. Isn't this fun of Jesus? He walks with them. He hides himself. He breaks bread. Their eyes are open, and poof. I mean, what, what fun. Jesus, like, these poor, these poor folks, man. They're like, chew. And I love, I love the response after this. This is really what I'm going at. Here's, if you don't hear anything, here it is. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? There is something to being able to find and to recognize God in the burning of your heart. This is so important. Because that burning in your heart, when your mind is confused, and when your mind can't think straight, and when you come in and you just, I can't, I can't put my thoughts together this morning, but when you get into the presence, if you, have, if you spend time with the Lord, you can get in that moment, and if he's in the room, your heart will burn. Your heart will burn. And when you begin to find him in that, it's a powerful moment because I have learned the importance of being able to find God in the burning of my heart. Why? Because there's a lot of times that my mind does not understand it. And I literally have to rely on the burning of my heart. Well, you say, well, that, that doesn't sound safe. Well, the Bible says that his sheep know the, the shepherd's voice. 
And I hear it here. That's where I hear his voice. I've been in rooms with people before where um, I walked into certain situations that uh, now, you know, it's not that shocking to me. Maybe like some of you when you first came to the gate, you're like, what am I doing here? And, you know, and I remember I, I, got, I walked into a room one time, and I told, told this story a few times. It was in California when I got ordained, and uh, we are a small gathering of people. It's called a young apostolic leaders gathering or something like that. I didn't know why I was going. They just invited me. And I showed up, and this is like Sean Bowles. Nobody knew who Sean Bowles was at this point in time. There's like 12, 15 people in the room. And there's a few other people in the room. You won't know most of them. One of them's name was Tommy Green. One of them's name was Eric Gregson. Uh, they're from a rock and roll band, a screamo band called Sleeping Giants. <laughs> Everyone go download it. You'll enjoy it. Um, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, what is that? Is that a guitar? No, that's, that's he's singing. Um, and and uh, I, I remember I was sitting in this room, and they were talking about things. And, I mean, there was all different stuff. And some of it my heart was not burning over. <laughs> Because I was like, that's definitely not the Lord. That's, that's you. Um, but there were things that were being said in the room, and my heart was like on fire. And all of a sudden, I was faced with a problem that my head didn't understand it. And some of the ways that people were acting and behaving, I'm thinking, that's not good. But you're doing more for the Lord than most people sitting in church that are acting good. And I was, according to standards of many, and I'm sitting there thinking, we got a problem here, because I know this is God, and I don't know what to think. Why? My heart was burning. My heart was burning. My mind was saying, I, and, and I, man, I'm telling you, before I went there, I had people warning me. Somebody pulled me aside, and like, well, you know, you, the people that send you all the videos of all the things you should know, right? The YouTube bros. <laughs> There's 12 videos on why you shouldn't go get ordained with this. And send it all to me. And I've got these things floating around in my head. And I'm like, man, oh, boy. And then I get there. And I get in the room. And my heart is going. And I began to understand I have to learn how to find the Lord in the burning of my heart. The same way that they said on the road to Emmaus, they said, my mind was not getting any of this. My pain was blocking so much. But there was one thing that I can rely on, even in the midst of pain, that if I get in his presence, my heart will burn. And there's one anchor that we have that is our secret weapon when we're walking through pain. And today's sermon's not on how to handle the pain. I've talked to you quite a bit about that. But there is a secret weapon that we have when we are in pain and we are in process. And it's the ability to say, just to get in and quiet your mind and say, what do I feel in my heart? What do I feel in my heart? I've learned, I've learned my, my mom's, always championed this really well. I don't know how many times she'd say, honey, I just feel it in my heart. She would do that just like that too. She'd be like, John, I just don't know. My heart just, I just feel it in my heart. <laughs> hey, she told me my whole life, if you just keep loving the Lord, he'll bless you with a good wife too. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting both the women today. <laughs> Mom and my wife. <laughs> I... I believe that there's so much truth behind that, that if, if you can just hear your heart, feel your heart. It says in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it said, it was like fire shut up in my bones. I believe it literally, you can begin to just ask, Lord, would you just, I need to feel you. 
Because the Lord says there are times where he will conceal things. I do believe he will conceal things to reveal things. He doesn't conceal things to hide things. He conceals them to reveal them. He can't give revelation if it's not already been hidden. It says that in Proverbs 25, 2, that the glory of God is to conceal a matter and to search it out is a matter is the glory of kings. We are kings and priests. He is the king of... He is the king of... You are kings. You are a royal priesthood. And he loves to hide things. Why? Because he wants you to find them. It's like the wilderness. He doesn't take you into, he, he doesn't let you go through a season of wilderness to show you what you can't do. He allows you to go through it to show you what you can do. You, it, we have to test things. We have to go through process of knowing what I can handle. Some of us are so scared of that. What are you scared of? You can't fail. He's right there. It's like, well, I'm going to blow it. Well, then he's right there. I don't know if I'll make it out. Trust me, if you stay near him, you'll make it out. What we're really scared of is what we'll find out about us in the process. We're not really scared about getting out. We're scared about what happens while we're in. (laughs) I tell people sometimes, like, I feel like God's taking you through a journey of healing. And they're like, how long do you think that's going to go? (laughs) <laughs> my friend Jonathan Welton without going into much uh, it's just one of the funniest things in our story is he went through a season of healing and um, I flew up to New York to be with him when some things had happened and I just remember I kept saying I just feel like this is going to take a while and he's like what's a while mean what exactly does that mean I'm like a while he's like all right Gandalf what exactly is this journey you keep talking about I'm like all right just 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 you'll find out the fact that you're asking it's getting longer it keeps getting longer every time you it's like when your kids ask can I have this every time you ask it's getting longer I think that God sometimes is up there like if the fact you keep asking it's getting longer and, 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 and let, me, let me say this, too, that I, I believe that there's differences between temptations and trials, and we tend to put them all under the same word. They're actually not. If you do a word study in your Bible, you'll find that there's some root words that translate into all different things. And a lot of times when they put them in your Bible, they just throw them all under, like, temptation. And, uh, and then you'll find other verses that's like, well, God does not tempt us. You're like, well, wait a minute. Which one is it? You need to do the work to understand what things mean. But I do believe that in the same way that Jesus was anointed, in the same way that Jesus had this amazing moment, let's go back to the baptism. John baptizes him. He is now he has been sent. He has now been ordained. Like the, the, the stamp of heaven has come upon him. And the first thing is in the wilderness. Now, this doesn't match our our churchianity way of thinking because we think breakthrough is mine I'm ready to go and I, I'm telling you people I'm, sometimes I'm like oh breakthrough is yours you're just getting ready to find out <laughs> because there is a season when God anoints that he poured out but it was after Jesus went through this wilderness experience where he came out and then he was ready to go 
the wilderness that you're in, in all honesty, maybe you may be right, right there at what you're going after. I mean, people continually will, will get, I watch them, they'll get right there and they'll start getting frustrated and bitter and offended and they'll step back. And it's like the finish line so often, this finish line in the wilderness. And by the way, there's more than one. <laughs> but in that scenario, is right there. That's why when John the Baptist was in prison and he says, is this even the Messiah? Jesus said, oh, John, John, whoa, whoa. Watch your heart. You're at the end. End well. You're at the finish line. It requires of us, though, often the ability to be able to, in the places of pain, in the places of letdown, in the places of, I, I got this word, and here I am. It's been many, many, many years, you know. I don't know. There's so many things that can happen th that I have to anchor my heart. I have a list on my phone. I don't know how you do it, but I have a list on my phone of prophetic words, prophetic videos, prophetic audio notes, and I have on demand about anything I need. Any day I need it, I can grab it. I'll prove it. <laughs> no, I mean it. I want you just to see how this works. Because for me... There are things that I constantly go back to, and there's one I just listened to. There have been things that we've been walking through that aren't the easiest, and I had this word. And uh, I actually had a word for John and Tiffany, and I think it's a word for both of you, but also corporately for your, for your church. And I, this is the scripture I got. It's Jeremiah 17, 8, and it says, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. <laughs> I just feel like it doesn't matter what heat comes your way, what droughts come your way, what difficulties come your way. You're planted by the well. Your roots run deep. They're attached to the stream of God's presence. And you will always bear fruit. And your leaves will always flourish. And I just... I'll I stop it there. Thanks for letting me encourage myself while I'm preaching. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm making the point that I keep these things close. I, I keep them close. Like I could, that what, took me 15 seconds to flip through my notes and pull that up because I have them nearby. Why? Because when I hear those, my heart begins to connect to the Lord and burn and say, remember what he said. Remember what he said. And your mind's saying, I don't feel like I'm flourishing right now. And your heart is saying, remember what he said. Remember what he said. What Matt and Carla did in worship this morning was so powerful because they were prophesying over the whole room this morning, faithfulness from the very beginning, and it ended on he'll do what he said he'll do. And it started with he's faithful. It started from that place. And God is encouraging us this morning. He is encouraging us to, to there are times where... I, I don't know how this works, but I know this. Jesus is perfect theology. So if Jesus did it while he walked the earth, the Father is the same. Because he said that he only did what the Father did. We know that. Do we all agree on that? Yes. Jesus never did something that the Father 
wouldn't have done. So when I see that Jesus would start to walk past just to get our attention, I know the Father will at times need to get our hearts to get attention. When he would act like he's going to the next town, why? Just so my heart can say, no, 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 I, I need that. He's like, oh, I'll stay. I'm with you. He was always with them. He wasn't going anywhere. He just needed their hearts to get there. You understand the difference in this is, is I'm trying to present to you the idea of I'm not about striving, but I am about pursuit. Let's, let's wrap it up. And it's easy to not know it. He's near. I think about, I, I love the passage in it's where we really got the name for the church. The gate comes from Jacob's ladder. The experience, remember when Jacob was running for his life? And uh, he's running and he lays down at night and he has an encounter with the Lord. And in this vision or encounter or dream, whatever it was, there's a ladder that's set up. And he sees angels ascending and descending. And in the dream, he says, this place is none other than Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. It's a really good teaching in that about this is the first time the house of God was mentioned. And it's really important. And if you want to study your Bible, go back to the first time something's mentioned. There's often a lot of insight there. The first time that the house of God was mentioned in your Bible, there were angels going up and down. There was the voice of the Father. There was rest. It happened while he was sleeping. Like there's so much in the scripture that this was the first mention of the house of God. And, but he woke up, and I love what he said. Wow, God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> I see that sometimes, because I'm seeing, like, I, I, don't, I don't mean this to sound negative, but we'll be in a worship service, and I see one person getting rocked, and the other person, like, is this about over? I was like, man, you are completely missing it. Like, God is like, if you would just turn your affection to God, that's what I'm talking about. It's like you can be in the room, and your affection is focused on Instagram and what you're going to eat for lunch and everything else. And God, just like Jake, he's in the room. It's just he's waiting for you just to turn your heart to him. And he says, there you are. Take some of this. It's not hard. It's not hard. Every time we see this constant encounter with God, it wasn't hard. I mean, even the picture of when he opened their eyes, it was such a simple picture. He sat down with them, they made a meal, and they broke bread, and their eyes opened. He's constantly placing the picture before us. It's not about what you can do, but you do have to stop. You do have to focus. You do have to turn your affections towards me. And... I believe for us to steward revelation, for us to, how do I say this? There are gifts, we were talking, I think you might have been talking about this with somebody recently, because they're like, man, how are they doing that? And then I was a certain band that wrote an amazing song and then went off the rails. And uh, Matt Stenton just says, gifting, character. And... 
I think that so often I meet people that have tremendous gifts, amazing gifts. And that's awesome. But if I don't see something in their heart that pursues the Lord, there's a very, very, very tiny door that you're going to get to speak into my life. Because I don't care how gifted you are. If your heart is not burning for him, and it's usually demonstrated in a worship service, just being honest. For me, I'll watch, I'll observe, but I'll be careful. Because some of the most, the most painful people to hurt the church, and, and, and hear me out, I, please, I don't have someone in mind, but the most painful people that have hurt the church have been really good, gifted Christians. The devil would much rather use a Christian. <laughs> Just because in the same way that Jacob didn't see it was Jesus, he didn't know he was there, or the other, not Jesus, but the Lord. In the same way that the disciples didn't, on the road to Emmaus, didn't recognize him. Just because our perception of Jesus is one thing, it may not always match up. And sometimes you can miss him because of what you're perceiving to be him. When they were waiting on Jesus to show up, all the pros, he was right in front of them. And they didn't see him their perception was of something completely different. I thought you were going to come and overturn things. I thought you were going to come in and just blow things up. You came in as a baby in a stable. It's the humblest possible entry. Jesus knew the power of humility. He was setting an example for us from the beginning the first moment he came in, there's nobody in this room that probably had a more humble beginning than being in a, born in a barn. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how many people miss what they're being invited into because it just didn't look like what they think Jesus looks like. I wonder how many people have a call in their life and they keep missing it because they're so clear on what they think it will look like. They keep missing every invitation of what he's saying. Come on. And we can create a version of a calling in our life that was never his. And I've recognized over the years just an encouragement to you guys that the importance of being able to feel him, his presence, the burning in your heart is an anchor for your life of knowing I'm in the right place. It's hard to get around Jesus and not burn. It's hard to be around the one that says he has fire in his eyes. The, the, the Bible says that the eyes are the heart to the soul. <laughs> it's hard to look into the eyes of one whose eyes are on fire and not feel like fire. I, 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 I love this. I better stop. I'm going to get this thing going too far. But <laughs> I, I, love the, I love how we all see a different side of God, right? Um, let me say this, because some of you in this room, like, you have such a revelation and understanding of the grace of God. And that's so powerful. 
And there's other people that have such a revelation and understanding of like the fire of God. It doesn't mean one of you is wrong. It means that you both need each other. Because every time I preach, there's someone in the room I can feel it, but John, he's shown me this. Good. I'll hang around you, you hang around me. Because he's shown me this. And we need that. We need that. We need to be around people that, that they're strong where we're not. But when the transaction took place on the cross, when Jesus did what he was going to do, when he died on this Mount Golgotha, by the way, which means skull. I love Brian Simmons' teaching on that. He said, isn't it interesting that the place that he died and renewed the mind was on a mountain that meant skull? When he died, it was done. And the rest of our journey is experiencing the Father's love and learning how to turn our affection towards him. Turn our affection towards him. And if you get anything that I said this morning, pain is the greatest thing that will stop you from turning. And you try to turn. And you try to turn. And you, and, and you have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. I, have, I'm, I am convinced that there is... There, pain is the greatest interference with all of us. I am not, I'm not scared of anything, but I'm sure not scared of demons. I'm not scared of evil spirits. They can be annoying, especially if they come at the nighttime, because I like my sleep. But they don't scare me. They're just irritating. But you know what is something that can be a problem is pain. And you want to know what's even worse than pain? is undealt with pain. <laughs> pain that's been there for a long time. And then you just keep holding on to it, and then more pain comes, and it's this exponential pain that keeps growing and growing. But there is a place, guys. There is a place. Here's a little hope. There is a place that when you learn how to deal with this pain, that when another big thing comes along, it doesn't feel like this is I can't take anymore. That feeling that you have that says, I cannot take any more. That is usually a really good sign of a lot of carried over pain. When you're like, oh, I can't take it anymore. But there comes a place when you deal with it and 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 something comes and all they're like, oh, man, I don't enjoy this. But the Lord has shown himself faithful time after time. We can deal with this. And we deal with it. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray over you. Stand up. I'm going to encourage. I hope you found encouragement somewhere in that because it is there. And I believe God, I want to welcome the prayer team to come up because we're going to need you this morning because I think that we're going to shake some dust off of people. I, f I do feel this, this weird like thing in the spirit between like there's pain, but there's also joy. And I just feel like, God, maybe you just need a little bit of joy to help you push through. So, Lord, I just ask even right now in this room that your joy, in a moment that doesn't feel like appropriate to ask for joy, it is always appropriate to ask for joy. So, Lord, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength, and to deal with pain, we do need strength. So joy is the secret weapon to get through pain. When Jesus was looking at the cross, he said it was because of the joy set before him he could get through that pain. 
Lord, we set our eyes on you, and you are joy. And Father, would you just fill our hearts right now? I just see like a feeling of joy that's going to give some of you the courage to really just go after things. And I want you to just do this. I want you to ask the Lord, just you and Jesus, is there pain in my life that I have been ignoring? There may be pain that you're aware of and you're working on. That's different. But is there pain in my life that I have not wanted to deal with? And the Holy Spirit is good to answer. If you don't hear anything, feel your heart. What does it feel? Do you feel it burning? Do you feel like your heart's racing? That's him. Now, God, we know because you're here it's a safe place, but now would you make it a courageous place where people feel the courage to lay it down at your feet and let you begin to heal. There is this dynamic with the Lord that when we admit we can't do it alone, he gives us the strength to do it. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. But a lot of it's just laying it down and saying, I know I can't do this alone. He says, all right, now you got it. In your weakness, you're strong. Lord, would you bless your kids? Would you bless everyone in this room? Would you fill them with hope? And for those that need ministry, would you give them the courage to just get that ministry? We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to welcome those that want to get prayer this morning to come up. Otherwise, come back at 6 p.m. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Wear your, uh, wear your worshiping clothes. <laughs> Bless some people around you, too, on your way out. Bless you guys. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.